Hey, will you pray with me as we begin our time? Ask God to be with us, speak to us. Father, uh, we know that you are here with us today, and we know that you love us, and we know that you want good for us. We know that um, you see all the different things that are happening in our lives and that you care about us and want to speak into the various things that are going on, that you want to communicate with us, you want us to know you, and you want us to not live our life alone, but with you as a part of it, in the very fabric of our, our life, in the very fabric of our being, you want to enter in. So God, would you open our hearts to receive from you? Would you help me to speak your word? Holy Spirit, would you illuminate truth and allow us to see things that we haven't seen before, to be convicted by you or comforted by you or led by you or all of the above, that you would allow us to hear from you. We do not want, God, this time and this space to be uh, a ritual and just kind of going through motions. We want you, God, and we need you. And so we do ask that you would allow our hearts to receive the word that you have for us. God, would you help us as a as a church, and even as your church broader than our church, as, as your people in Denver, Lord, would you help all of the churches that are trying to navigate this difficult season? I know many churches are beginning to now meet back in person as, as we have in a building, and some are looking for space, and other churches, even in our family of churches, and Acts 29, God, are are looking for space and trying to figure out what's next. And God, I pray, we pray as a church together that you would give wisdom to our brothers and sisters, that you would help the church in Colorado, in Denver, to be able to thrive during this season. As so much upheaval and so much turmoil has happened the last seven, eight months, Lord, would you lead your church to continue to be your people? We're asking that for our church here, but God, we desire that for all of your people, all of your churches. Lord, we know that your family is bigger than just us here, so we pray for wisdom. We pray for your leadership in the churches in Denver, that you would direct your people so that your whole people God, in this city and in Colorado would be a light showing who you are. Let your church be pruned and strengthened in this season. So Lord, we give you this time and we thank you that we can come here today and worship you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. We're in our third week and we are really just kind of asking the question, what is it that God wants to do in our life? What is God's vision for our life? And from Ephesians 3 that we looked at the first week, 
we're really believing that God has greater things in store. The Ephesians 3 says that he wants to do and that he can do above and beyond all that we ask or imagine. That he can do above and beyond. Whatever you think, whatever you might ask, whatever you could imagine, he can do above and beyond that. That God can do greater things in our life. And today I want to help us really understand what it is that God wants for us to experience. It's hard to understand someone if you don't know what they want. It's really hard to to understand someone if you don't know what it is that they want for you or from you. Even as we're in kind of this political season, that's part of what people are campaigning on. They are saying, here is what I want for the country. Here is what I want for the constituents. This is what my desire is to see happen. That's their campaign platform. Here's what I want to see. And so then we make decisions on, okay, do I want to vote for them based on what they want or do I not want to vote for them? And that's true if you've ever hired somebody or maybe you've been asked those questions as you are interviewing. The questions are often asked, where do you see yourself in five years or what do you hope to get out of this job? And it's not just what are your skill sets, but people want to know what is it that you want? Why are you here? Why are you interested in our company? Because motivation helps you to really understand someone. It gives you a window into their personality and into who they are. This is true in dating that you, you sometimes a father might ask, I know it's a little bit um, old school, but a father might ask, what are your intentions? What is it that you want with my daughter or with my son? You could also uh, do that way. Or you might ask that to someone that you are dating. What, what, are, we, what are we doing here? What do you want out of this? Are we just having fun? Is this moving somewhere? What do you want? Understanding someone's desire helps you understand that person. And so really, I want to ask us this question is, what does God want for you? When you think about that, think about God, what does God want for you? What comes to your mind? Maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while and you obviously have thought about God, but maybe you don't think about that question that often. What is it that God wants for me? Maybe, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're exploring Christianity and you're interested in it. And maybe that's what you're even here today is to say, what is it that God wants? Who is he? What is he all about? What, what is this whole faith and Christianity thing? If we miss what God wants for us, then we miss who he is. And, and really, we don't understand him. We don't understand faith. We don't understand, when that's true if you're a Christian or not a Christian, you, we can miss the whole thing if we don't see what it is that he wants. Because understanding what he wants helps us to know who he is and how we even relate to Christianity, faith, any of that. So let me, let me just start. This will be really the, the first question that we look at. But let me start and tell you what it is that God doesn't want. Let me tell you what it is that he is not after mainly. I say mainly because it doesn't mean these things are unimportant, but this is not at the core of who God is and what he wants. He's not mainly after morality in your life, meaning for you to live a certain way and be a certain kind of person. That's not mainly what God is after. God is not mainly after belief in your life. 
He's not mainly after just that you believe that he is there or believe that he exists or even believe the Bible or believe true things about him. That's not mainly what God is after in your life. He's not mainly after forgiveness, even though that's a great benefit that we get to experience from God. He's not mainly after forgiving us of our sin. God is not mainly after just trusting in something bigger than yourself, just knowing that he's there. And, and sometimes we even maybe make statements like, I, I know there's something bigger out there. And God's not mainly after just a belief that there's more than you. Those are all true things, but there's something much more that God wants for us. And, and it also helps us to see who he is. So we're going to read just the beginning passage of a, a book in the Bible or a letter in the Bible called 1 John, which was written by one of Jesus' closest friends, one of his disciples, and he writes it to the church to explain what it is that he wants for these churches and what, really what it is that God wants for them, for us. And so we're just going to look at the intro of his letter here. Here's, here's what he says. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that's, that's a, a name used for Jesus, that life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And, I, and I, this is from the CSB. That's kind of the version that we use. But I, but I love the way that the message, which is kind of a paraphrase, I love the way that it translates this just because it kind of gives a, a fresh a feel to it. So I just want to read it to you in this as well. And he says, from the very first day we were there, Again, talking about Jesus and their, his, their time with Jesus. From the very first day that we were there, taking it all in, we heard it with our own ears, saw it with our own eyes, verified it with our own hands. The word of life appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen. And now we're telling you in most sober prose that what we witnessed was incredibly this. The infinite life of God himself took shape before us. We saw it. We heard it, and now we're telling you so you can experience it along with us. This experience of communion with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, our motive for writing is simply this. We want you to enjoy this too. Your joy will double our joy. Now, here, here is what he says to us. He says this, first of all. He says, Jesus, not a myth. It says, we were actually there. All of that language talking about, we saw him with our eyes. We heard him with our ears. We touched him with our hands. He's saying, this, these aren't stories. These aren't legends. We were there. We were eyewitnesses, what we would call. We were actually there. We lived life with Jesus. He uses the word fellowship, which is saying, we walked with Jesus. Think about the disciples. We walked with Jesus we walked from village to village with Jesus. We talked with him. 
We were able to be taught by him. We asked him questions and, and he answered us. There was certain things we didn't understand and he would explain them to us. We, we saw him do miracles in various ways. We ate breakfast with him. He cooked for us. He was in our house. We went to the beach with him. We went on fishing trips with him. We, we ate meals with him. We, we went on a boat with him. We went to the mountains with him. These are all things you do with your friends, right? Or maybe not. Maybe you need to get some friends. Join a community group. But they say we went to the mountains with him. We went fishing. We ate breakfast. We did all of these great things. We drank wine with him. We went to weddings with him. We went to parties. With, I mean, all, they're saying we had fellowship with him. In all the various, we actually did these things, they say. These aren't stories. These aren't legends. We did this. And, and here's, what, here's what he says. Here's, here's what God wants for us. He says, we're writing this so that you may also have fellowship with us. See, our, our fellowship on this earth was with Jesus. And it still is. He says, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. We, we had fellowship with him. That's just a word, the, the, the message said communion, but it's just, it's a word that means, the Greek word is koinonia, which means sharing or partnership or relationship or community. It's where the Bible, that's where we get a lot of those different words. And he's saying, we had this relationship, this community with Jesus. We had that. And what we want for you, what God wants for you is fellowship. God wants community with us. God wants relationship with us. This is so important. I don't know how you conceive of Christianity. I think a lot of times if you're not a Christian, this may be how you think of it. But I think even for those of us that are Christians and maybe you grew up in church your whole life, it's easy for us to think about Christianity in maybe a few of these different ways or some uh, conglomeration of them. It's easy for us to think of it as teaching. So it's easy to think, here's what God wants, or here's what Christianity even is. It's a body of teaching. There's certain things you do, certain things you don't do. There's certain facts about who God is, and certain things about who God is not. There's right belief and right doctrine, and here is what Christianity is. It's a set of teaching. But there's all sorts of, of teachers that you could admire. I, I really love C.S. Lewis and He's dead now, unfortunately, and, and he's uh, a great teacher, and I, I learn from him. But John is saying, that's not what Jesus wants for you. That's not what God wants for you only. He wants relationship with you. He wants all the fellowship that we had in all those ways I described. God wants that for you. I can't have fellowship with C.S. Lewis. He's dead. If I tried to go to his grave and dig him out and have fellowship with him, that would be really creepy and illegal also, I think. Um, I'm pretty sure. It's in, you know, he's in England, so who knows? Maybe there's different laws there about grave digging. Um, I can still appreciate his teaching, but I can't have a relationship with him. And sometimes we think about Christianity as historical belief. We, we confess certain beliefs about God. We will even say, here is what it is. I believe in God or I believe that Jesus died for my sins. And we're confessing that it is historical realities that we, that we give assent to, that we agree with. There's historical facts that we say, I believe Jesus died. 
I believe that he rose from the dead. And we are saying Christianity essentially is belief in historical events that took place. That's important. But that's not what John says that God wants for you to have right now. God isn't just after you making sure you pass the history test and say, yes, I believe these facts that God did these things, that Jesus did these things, that these things are true. You believe historical facts probably about Abraham Lincoln, but that's, you don't have a relationship with him. Those are very different things. Christianity isn't just inspiration of someone's example. Maybe we look at Jesus and think, man, that's an inspiring example, and I want to live my life like that, and man, that's, a, that's the way to live life. I see the good in that. I see what kind of life that would produce. I want that for me. Wouldn't life be better if I lived like Jesus did? And maybe we look at Christianity as an inspiring example of Jesus. And maybe combining all those things together that we like his teaching, we believe the truth of, of, of who he was, and he's an inspiring example for us to live our life in that way. But again, you can be inspired by Martin Luther King Jr.'s example, but that doesn't mean you have a relationship with him. John is claiming something very different. He is saying what God wants for you. He says, we saw him, we saw Jesus, we touched Jesus, we heard Jesus, we walked with Jesus, we lived, we had fellowship, community, friendship, relationship. That is what we had. And that's what he wants for you. That's a very different claim, isn't it? That's a very different invitation. That's a very different reality that what God wants for us is fellowship, relationship, community. Jesus is, here's kind of one of the the ways you can understand this. Jesus is still alive. He is still alive and wants to relate with us just like when he first came, he related with them. He is still alive. If your Christianity can exist with a dead Jesus, then it's not actually Christianity. And oftentimes, I I do think our Christianity can exist with a dead Jesus. We can appreciate his teaching with him still being dead. We can follow his example with him still being dead. We can believe certain truths about him with him still being dead. But John is claiming Jesus is still alive. He had fellowship with us, and he wants fellowship with you. He wants fellowship with us today. He wants to actually, listen, Jesus wants to actually engage with you. He wants to actually be a part of your life. I don't know if you've ever imagined, like I have, oh man, it would be great to be one of the disciples. It would be great to have talked with Jesus and walked with Jesus and Jesus cooked fish for breakfast, which is a little weird, but okay, if that's his kind of, you know, secret dish, all right, I'll I'll try it. Like, wouldn't it be great to have actually been there? And John is saying, yeah. That's what he wants for you to have. That's still, he wants to actually engage in your life, minus the fish. Listen, when another person enters into our life, it always changes us. Anytime another person enters into your life, and, and I would say even the closer that that person gets, the more that you experience a change. Anytime a person enters into our life, part of who they are begins to enter into who we are. That's true in a dating relationship. 
That's true when you get married, that, that that person's life begins to change who you are. You might start to like certain things that you didn't used to like. You may, I've seen people that were extremely liberal and extremely conservative get married and then their politics kind of melded together. I mean, there's all sorts of, part of who someone else is comes into who you are. That's true even just if you have a, a doctor. You, you go to the doctor and maybe you've got certain things going on and you see them and part of their wisdom, part of their expertise, it begins to enter into you and change you because their advice and their treatment changes your physical disabilities or whatever they are that you're dealing with. It's true with a coach. It's true with a teacher. Anytime another person enters into our life, and the deeper we let that person in, who they are begins to change us. John is saying this. Jesus, the word of life, which if you think about that title for Jesus, the word of life, which means that he himself is life, that he himself is the fulfillment of all that we search for in life, all that we long for in life, that he himself is the energizing power that gives life to this world and life to us spiritually, physically, that the word of life wants to relate with you, wants to have community with you, wants to have fellowship with you. This is Christianity. Christianity is fellowship, community, communion with God. This is what God wants for us. So what does that actually mean? What does that actually look like? What does it look like to have fellowship with God? Because that's a big idea to say that, and it doesn't look like having fish with Jesus. We know it doesn't mean that. So what does it look like to have fellowship with God? And again, I'm just going to keep repeating this because I think it's so important. Oftentimes, I do think that the way we think of God is a thing or a reality to be believed in instead of a person to engage with. I guess that's just a good assessment question for you. When you think about faith, Christianity, God, is it more kind of, I believe these truths, or is it, this is a person that I know? What does it actually look like to have fellowship with God? Here's, here's what I did. I'm going to move away from 1 John for a second. We'll come back to it. Um, and I, I don't have the, just because from a time standpoint, I mean, I, I'd be happy to be here all day, but I don't think all of you would. So uh, the, uh, from a time standpoint, I'm just going to give you the things that the Bible says, but not actually go through and read all the verses. If anyone is super interested in it, I'd be happy to give you the references for these. But here's what I did. I went through the New Testament after Jesus, and I, I tried, and I'm, and I'm not going to be uh, completely inclusive, comprehensive. There's stuff that will be left out. This is just going to be a representation. But I went through and looked at what are all the things that it says that God wants to do in our life today? So not things that God did. God parted the Red Sea. Jesus fed the 5,000. Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, not, not things that God, not things that Jesus did, but what does it say after Jesus is already gone? So that, that's more relating to us then. What does it say that Jesus does, that God does today for us? 
What does it say even after he was gone, even after he ascended into heaven? What does it say is available to us for God to do and interact with and relate to us now? Because if we can, John is saying, I want you to have fellowship with him in the way that we had fellowship with him. So what does the Bible actually describe as available to us to experience today? Does that make sense? So I went through the New Testament post-Jesus and looked at all the different things that it said. So let me just give you a sampling of what the New Testament says is available to us from God presently. Here's some things. It says that he leads us. Now, obviously, I'm not going to spend as much time on every single one, but let me just show you this. Obviously, with the disciples, the fellowship that they had with them, Jesus led them. He would say, let's go over here. Let's do this. This isn't right. This is right. Here's what I want you to think about. Here's what Jesus did that with them. That was a part of their fellowship. Today, we might not think about that. We might think about what did he do with them? But it says that today available to us is that God, that Jesus wants to lead us, that he wants to walk with us. It says that he remains with us. It says that he fills us. That God, and many times it uses that language about the Holy Spirit, about God the Father, that he fills us. It says that he listens to us today. It's not just that he listened to them, but he listens to us, that he speaks with us. It says that he, um, when I say says we are his children, it doesn't mean that the Bible says we are his children, though it does say that, but that God today says, reminds, speaks to us, and tells us, today, you are my child. He says that to us. That he pours out his love into our hearts. That his spirit rests on us. That's an experiential reality that's different from just saying that the Holy Spirit is with us, but it gives language to say, today, you can experience the Holy Spirit resting on you. That he is present in abandonment, that when other people leave, that when other people walk away, that he makes his presence even more known to us. There's language that Paul will use like, everyone abandoned me, but you stood with me. He prays for us, that Jesus prays for us, that the Holy Spirit prays for us, that he draws near to us, Think about, I'm sure there was times with the disciples that they were having difficult days and difficult things were going on, and yet what happened is Jesus would draw near to them and say, let's talk. It says that today God draws near to us, that he gives mercy and help in time of need. I don't know if you feel like you need help or that you are tempted or that you need mercy. It says in those times that you feel that, he gives mercy and help. In time of need, that he comforts us, that God himself wants to comfort you, that he supports us, he heals us, he forgives us, he cleanses us. Now, on the cross, he already has forgiven all sin, but to talk about forgiving and cleansing now means that you can have an experience relationally of it, that he gives his grace. He can allow you to experience and know and feel his grace, that he gives his love. He gives 
fellowship. He gives peace, that he fills with joy, that he fills with hope, that he strengthens in all sorts of ways. It it uses that language a lot. There's times that we feel weak. There's times for uh, ministry or things that God would call us to do in other people's lives. There's strengthening with his love. All sorts of strengthening that it says he still and actively does. That he roots us. Meaning he, he helps us have stronger roots in him. He builds us up. That he restores us, establishes us. That he empowers us, gives us power beyond ourselves that he encourages us, that he actively opens doors of ministry. And don't think of that just as ministry as you know, preaching or something, but that he opens doors of opportunity for us to serve and love other people, that he strengthens our good works, meaning we do certain things and it's with our ability, but he adds his strength to those things, that he produces gifts in us, that he gives us wisdom. On the negative side, here's things that we can actively do to God right now. We can grieve him. Do you know that our sin is personal? You're not just breaking, some people have said it like this, which I think is helpful. We don't just break God's rules, we break God's heart. Because rules can be impersonal. But to think about breaking God's heart means we are actually sinning against a person. We can grieve God. God is saddened. God is hurt by our sin because it is rejecting him, ignoring him. If I I sin against my wife, I don't just go, dang it, I've broken the rules of marriage. I say, I'm sorry, babe. We can stifle him. We can harden towards him. We can turn away from him. We can disobey him. Him. We can forget him. All throughout, these are some of the different things that it says. What does it look like to have relationship, community, fellowship with God? Listen, oftentimes I think our faith is small. And by faith, I mean our belief in who God is and what he does. I I read through all of those things. If we believed that, that God could be right now empowering us, strengthening us, supporting us, establishing us, rooting us, encouraging us, speaking to us, leading us, walking, comforting. I mean, all those, if we believe that, we would probably engage with God way more. Oftentimes, I think our faith is small, but what if that's true? What if even just a couple of those slides were true? What if just, what if just a sampling of this is true? I mean, it all is true. But what if just one of these slides is true? Wouldn't you want that? Wouldn't we want to experience that now, today? What in your life would that affect? What would, what would be affected if, if you could today experience fellowship with God of support? Where do you need support? Where do you need encouragement? Where do you need strengthening? Where do you need more of God's love in your heart? Where do you need some of his kindness? Where do you need some of his wisdom? I mean, where do you need God's life, God's life intersecting into your life? Where do we need that? Where do you need that? You might have fear in your life. 
You may feel weakness in your life. You may relationally feel like you can't do certain things. You may have desires to to do ministry and serve people, but feel like every door is closed. You may feel discouraged. You may feel lonely. You may feel like people have abandoned you. You may feel like you don't have peace. There's all sorts of things that those truths could connect to that God is saying, I want to relate with you. I want to relate with you. Not just knowing truths about him, but actually relating with him. That's what is available. This is what it actually looks like, which means this. God sees the suffering in our life. God sees the difficulty in our life. God sees the sin in our life and wants to relate with us. He wants to have community and fellowship with us. He actually wants to engage with us in our life. There is more available to us. Whatever your experience of God is right now, there is more available to us. We can actually experience engaging with him. I want that. And if, if that's true, and I believe it is true, I don't want to miss out on that. I, just overwhelmed by the amount of things that, that God says, that the Bible says are available to us today, if that's true, I don't want to miss out on that. I don't want to go through my life just knowing truth about God and believing who he is and what he's done as a reality of fact, but not an experience of life. I don't, if he's saying, I want to do all this, I want to relate with you, I don't want to miss out on that. I want someone in my life that says I can do all those things and want to do all those things. Yes, I wish I was a disciple 2,000 years ago, eating fish with Jesus and hiking mountains with Jesus. That would be great. Stub my toe and he goes, done, it's fixed. I mean, that would be awesome. I stub my feet a lot, so that's why that was in my mind. I, I, I would love that. But he is saying, I do this now. And if that's true, I don't want my experience of faith, of Christianity, to just be belief that he did that for other people. I want the experience of all that he says he wants to do and be in my life. I want fellowship with God. I want that for us as a church. So second or third, how do we get that then? God says that what he wants for us is fellowship. What that looks like is all of these different ways that he wants to actually engage with us and interact with us. How do we get it? Because the implication, if John is saying, I, I want you to have fellowship with us, the implication is that that is available, but it's not automatic. If he is saying, I want this for you, and if all the different things that we looked at in the New Testament are often actually those things come from prayers, Paul praying or Peter praying or James praying, I, I want God to do this in your life. It means that it's available, but it's not automatic. Those things don't just happen. Listen, like other relationships, if you are married, there is a lot available to you. You could have a beautiful, enjoyable marriage. You can know each other more deeply. You can have fun together. You can have passion together. There's a lot available, but there's a lot of marriages that are just roommates going through life. 
Same thing with your friendships. There's a lot available to you of what a friendship can be. There's fun and depth and serving and all sorts of things. Or you can say, hey, how's it going? I mean, there's a lot available and you can have friends but not fully enjoy them and fully experience them. That's true with any of our relationships. So it is available but not automatic. So how do we experience this fellowship with God? Not just how do we get entrance into it, but how do we actually experience the fellowship with God? Let me give you two things. First is this. Many people would even say that we, we can't know God. Many people would say, it's, you know, how, how can I know God? Can anyone really understand the mind of God? And that is true. In order to know God, in order to know anybody, they have to reveal themselves to you. If you want to get to know somebody, this is something that's talked about often in relationships, that person has to be vulnerable. They have to let you in. They have to say, here is who I am. Otherwise, you don't really know them. You just know, what's on, you just know it from a, a page or from on, on the outside. And what John says that Jesus did is that he revealed himself. That life was revealed. That life was with the Father and was revealed to us. He uses that language because what God wants to be known. He wants us to have fellowship with him. But listen, here is how you get it. It has to start with him revealing himself to you, showing himself to you. Here is why I think this is important. A lot of times, maybe we're not actually relating to God but a projection of our own imagination of who God is. Sometimes we may use language around things like, but I know that God wants me to be happy. Or we may say something like, I believe in a God who dot, 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 dot. Or I just don't think that God would dot, 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 dot. And what we're saying by that is, here's my God. Here's what I believe that God is like. Here's what I believe that God wants. Here's what I think that God is like. I can't fathom or understand another kind of God. So the God that I believe in, the God that I choose to follow, the God that I choose to, to believe exists is a God like this, but that ends up being just a projection of our own imagination and our own desire. That is why it's so necessary that if we're actually going to relate with God, it is the God that reveals himself to us. If you aren't looking at who God has revealed himself to be, you're not actually relating with God. You're relating with your own God. So, not to be offensive, but congratulations, you started your own religion. If we, if we are just projecting our ideas and our beliefs and saying, this is what God is like, I know God would want this for me, but not actually saying, God, who have you revealed yourself to be? Then we're just relating to our own invention of a God. Don't, don't, doesn't it make sense that if there is a God, that there's going to be all sorts of areas that collide with who you are and what you want? And what you expect and what you think, that's true of every human relationship. I don't have a relationship with anybody, my wife, my kids, my friends, anybody, that every single thing that I think and believe and want, they think and believe and want. I mean, but so often that's what the God that we believe in is like, which is why he must be revealed to us. 
He says, if you want to get fellowship with God, it starts with him revealing himself to you. You are not relating to him if you are not seeing who he has revealed himself to be. That's first. Second, how we get fellowship with God. First is revelation. And that led to Jesus wanting to reveal himself, led to the incarnation. So revelation led to incarnation, which is God took on flesh and said, here's who I am. Now you can know me. That's what it did first. But now, if you want to get fellowship with God, revelation leads to, because Jesus isn't incarnated here, revelation leads to declaration. Here's what he says. What we have seen and heard, we declare to you. We want you to have fellowship with us. We had this amazing fellowship with God, and we want you to have it. Well, how do we get that? How do we actually experience it? Jesus isn't going to appear bodily in front of us. So how do we get it? And he says like this, what we have seen and heard, we declare to you. Or later, we write these things to you. You see, the means by which we experience the fellowship with God today is not being able to go on a hike with him, is not being able to have brunch with him, is not going, if you tell me, I went on a fishing trip with Jesus yesterday, I'm going to say, okay, something's wrong with you, and let's check the meds. That's what I'm going to probably check on. I'm going to call your doctor. But, but what he says is the way that we get fellowship now is by declaration. He says, we want you to have what we had, so we're speaking these things to you. We're writing to you. You see, the way that God has chosen to communicate who he is to us today, the way that God has chosen to invite us into relationship with him today is through his word. It's through him saying, here's who I am in the Bible. And then us engaging with him in that. But listen, the Bible, if you read the Bible as just a list of rules or even just facts to be believed, you miss what John is saying. John is saying, I am writing a letter of the Bible. I am writing this so that you would have fellowship with God. So when you open up the Bible and read, do you say, I'm reading right now to have fellowship with God? That's what John says that his intention is. John says, the reason I'm writing this to you is so that you would be able to have community and interact with God how I did when Jesus was here on earth. See, the, how we approach a book depends on how we read it. If you approach a grocery list as a recipe, that will give you a really weird loaf of bread or whatever it is. You see carrots, beans, flour, and you're like, okay, this is a, this is a recipe. It changes how you read something. If it's a list, if it's a book, if it's a novel, John is saying the Bible's a kind of book where God is actually saying, I want you to know me and be able to relate with me. That's why we say it's God's word, because what we mean is you're not just reading a book, you are listening to God speak to you. And the reason he's speaking to you is to invite you into fellowship with him. So God speaks to us, John says, and then we talk with him. I am writing these things to you. I am declaring these things to you so that you would have fellowship with us. That the Bible is not mainly a book about principles, but a book about a person. 
It's us engaging with him, relating with him, listening to him. It's not mainly information, but relation that God is after in speaking to us in his word. So how do we get fellowship with God? Jesus has to reveal himself to us, which means we have to see who he has revealed himself to be. And the main way that he reveals himself to us today is through his word, saying, here's who I am. So how do you get it? You want all that he said is available with God? In some sense, it's very simple. It is to read the Bible and to pray, that we listen to God speak to us and that we talk to him the same way that any relationship works. If you said, how do I get a relationship with the person sitting next to me? I would have to tell you, well, You've got to talk with them, and you've got to listen to them. In some sense, very simple, but it's the bedrock of all those other things that we looked at, all the other slides of kindness and God's love and God. All of those things, in some sense, is overwhelming, but the way that that is actually given to us is as we listen to God and talk with God. How do we get his kindness? How do we get his love poured out in, his, in our hearts? How do we get his wisdom? How do we get his encouragement? How do we get his support? How do we get him rooting us and building us? How do we get his help? There's, there's a lot of ways. But the primary way that we engage with anyone is to listen to them, speak, and to talk with them. God wants community with us. He wants fellowship with us. He wants to actually be involved and engaged in a part of our life. Are you, in, listen, are you engaging in relationship with God? I, I'm not, I don't work for the NSA. I don't have cam, I don't work for Alexa or Google. I don't have cameras in your house. I don't see everything that's going on. But you know what's going on. Are you engaging in relationship with God. He is saying, I want that for you. But how much are we actually spending to listen to him and talk with him? He wants us to have life more than us. I don't want to miss out on that. And John says, the way that we get that now, I'm writing these things to you so that. I'm declaring these things to you so that. That's the primary way that it comes. This is another way that it comes. John says that I'm declaring these things to you. Right now, I'm declaring these things to you. Another way that we engage in relationship with God is a Sunday worship time where we listen to God's word spoken to us, where we respond in worship, in singing, where we respond in taking communion, where we are saying, okay, God, I want to relate with you. I'm carving out special time to spend with you. This is another, there's all sorts of other spiritual disciplines that they are called, whether that's fasting or silence and solitude or different ways that we say, God, I want to relate with you. I want to carve out time, just like we do with every relationship that matters to us. Every relationship that matters to us, we try to carve out time. We might say, okay, I have a date night or I have a family vacation or I call my parents once a week or whatever it is. Every relationship that matters to us, we carve out disciplines of communication and relation. And he is saying, if you want to engage with God, if you want to have fellowship with God, this is how. Last thing is this. 
what happens? What happens if we have fellowship with God? What God wants is fellowship for us. What that actually looks like is all the different things available. Can't recap them all. How we get that is actually engaging in prayer, reading the Bible in a way that is for relationship. But the last thing is just this. What happens? And you know what John says? We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Or again, in the message, he says, we want you to enjoy this too. They enjoyed their time with Jesus when he was on earth. They enjoy, John enjoys the fellowship that he has with him now. And he says, you know what happens if you have fellowship with God? It's not some grudging thing. It's not some obligatory duty. You might have some relationships where you know, okay, I've got to spend time with them. I've got to. So that's, that's not what this is like. He says, what happens if you have fellowship with God? What happens if you have fellowship with Jesus like we had is joy. All of us want joy. And yet we find, like John says, that it's often incomplete. And certain things push us maybe a little bit there. You have a good meal, your joy increases a little bit. You, have a, you make a good friend, your joy increases a little bit. But, but if, if joy is a circle, it's never quite there. It never quite completes. It's always buffering. It's just kind of not quite, the circle's not there yet. And he says, what happens with fellowship with God is that your joy is completed. It's filled out. The circle's closed. You can actually have complete joy when, he ent- when the word of life enters into your life. Jesus says, I see your life. And I want to bring into your life complete joy. Do we believe that? Listen, this is what I'm saying. Sometimes I think our faith is weak. We see these things that God is saying. We see what he says is available. But the way that we live our life shows that we're actually functionally atheists or functionally deists, meaning we believe God is there, but he's not really involved. John is saying, God wants to fellowship with you in such a way that there is a completed joy that takes place. I want that. I don't want to miss out on that. If God is saying, this is available, this is what I want for you, I don't want to miss out on that. If, if there's a, sometimes the Bible uses language to talk about God's grace and his power, his riches. If, if you have a billionaire uncle and he's saying, I want, if your uncle is Jeff Bezos, could you set up a lunch with us? But then after that, if, if he is saying, I, I, I've got all of this I want to give you. I've got all of this wealth, the glorious power of my riches I want to give to you. And we say, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know if that's really true. That's not my experience that that's how you are. I don't know. That seems like a lot of work. It seems beyond what I think is possible. I don't want to miss out. God is saying more than billions of dollars. He's saying, I, God, the word of life, want to be involved, want to engage with you. There's complete joy available. You can actually engage with the creator of the universe, the incarnate son of God. There's something that we need today. Strength, acceptance, comfort. I I don't know what you need, but there's something we all need today. And God is saying, Come to me. Come relate with me. 
What does God want for us? Fellowship. He wants fellowship with us, completed joy. Here's what this means. If, if you're a Christian, he's offering that to you. He's saying there's more. If you're not a Christian, he is saying this is what Christianity is. This is the invitation. This is the call. It's not just into belief or forgiveness, though those things are true and prerequisites. He is saying, I want to actually relate with you. That's the invitation that's actually extended. So if you're a Christian, engage with him. Make a commitment. If I was preaching on marriage, I could say the same thing. Make a commitment to actually engage with him, to talk with him, to listen to him, to read the Bible. To That's where it starts, but then to add other disciplines into your life. Listen, there's one last thing I want to tell you as it relates to engaging with him. And if you got the email, you would have seen this, but I want us as a church to enter into a season. If you're listening online, it's for you too. But I want us to enter into a season of asking God for more. That's what this whole series is about. We're saying we want to see greater things happen. And so we're going to enter into a fast starting tomorrow. Uh, Becca, can you put that slide up? Sorry, I, I had my slides disorganized. Uh, this is the link that you can sign up for the fast. And if you go to this link, you just kind of put your email in there and we're going to send out emails. It's going to start. It's a five-week fast starting tomorrow. And the parameters and kind of what that all is, this, you have to keep the capitals correctly, but you go bit.ly slash AB prayer, above and beyond prayer. And we, we do a fast as a church uh, probably a couple times a year. And it's, it's a time where we're saying we want, if God is saying this is available, fasting is a way that we seek God. It's not something we do to get something from God, like, God, look how much I'm sacrificing, now do something for me. But it's a way that we surrender to him. It's a way that we cease doing one thing, food, time, and increase doing another thing, prayer, listening to God. And so I'm just asking, and I know this is a small ask, but really it's a big ask. The ask is that you would pray five minutes a day for the next five weeks. And I know five minutes doesn't seem like that much, but but to be disciplined, to pray for five minutes a day, to seek God. And to abstain from one meal a week, whatever that is. And not just abstain for a diet, like, sweet, I've been looking for a reason to, you know, lose some weight. Not, not because of that, but to use that time to pray. To use that, and we're going to send out prayers, guiding. And really, the, the prayers are just around everything that we just talked about today and even the last two weeks. Saying, God, you say you want to do above and beyond all that we can ask or imagine. So let's ask and imagine. You say you want to do bigger and greater than we can ask, but that also is implying we should then ask. That we should ask God, if this is who you are, if this is what you say you can do, then we should presume upon God. And as Hebrews says, come boldly and confidently to him. And say, okay, you said this is who you are. So we want to ask you. We want to ask you. And so I want to ask you as a church, let's do this together. Let's engage in a time of asking God to do above and beyond in us and through us. Like I said, that will start tomorrow. You'll get an email giving you the details of what to pray for this week 
and each week. And we're also kicking that off with a, a Zoom kind of town hall tomorrow that I would love for you to be a part of. You can get all, all that information's on here. Okay, so I can't keep saying more about it. And if and also if you have questions about fasting, if that's weird, if you've never heard anything about that, if that sounds kooky or whatever, there's some links on there that you can look at as well. We're going to take communion. And when we take communion, what we are remembering is that Jesus didn't just reveal himself to us, but that he did come to this earth and die on the cross for our sins, to forgive us, to cleanse us, to make us righteous, but also to bring us into fellowship with him. See, the way that this is available to us, the way that fellowship with God is available to us is because through Jesus we have been reconciled to God. That we start as hostile to God. We start as enemies to God, whether we know it or not. But Jesus came to reconcile us, that it took his death on the cross to give us fellowship. When we take communion, here's what Jesus said about it. He said, this is the new covenant. See, covenant is a relational term. He didn't just say, I died to forgive you. He said, I, this is the new covenant. This is the way I am bringing you into relationship with me. And so as you take communion, I want you to remember what he did for us to give us this fellowship. As you take communion, just take a minute. And pray. And also you can use this time to take a, a next step. You can go to our next step page and whatever that next step of obedience and of fellowship with God even looks like for you, you can take a next step in that. And then one last thing that we're gonna, we started doing this at the beginning of the year, which I know now feels like 10 years ago, but we, the, the Bible talks about if you need prayer, for healing or anything, to come to the elders and to receive prayer, to be anointed with oil and to receive prayer. And so we're going to start in our services. We, again, we started this at the beginning of the year, but have been off of it. But if you would like prayer for healing or for anything really in your life, I'll be in the back uh, during the first couple songs, and I would love to pray for you. And um, yeah, I would just invite you to come back for that, and we'll, we'll do that every week, Okay. So pray with me now, and then we will enter into a time of communion. Father, I thank you that what you want for us is fellowship. You're not just after mental assent. You're not just after belief in facts, but you actually want to relate with us. You, the God of the universe, you, the creator of everything. You, the word of life, want to speak to us and listen to us and rest on us and encourage us and help us. You. And so I pray, Lord, as we take communion, that you would help those truths to go deeper into our hearts, that you would build our faith, that as we sing and as we take the physical expression of what you've done for us, that our faith would increase, that our faith would grow, and we would experience more fellowship with you, Jesus. In your name we pray.